So today in this episode, I've spoken to Lindsay and Lindsay and I get into second lockdown, businesses in lockdown, and Lindsay is a business coach. And we talk a lot about focusing on what you can control. And that went down many tangents um, from everything from working from home, children, anxiety, where our anxiety comes from, how we can control it, and, and also why you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. And uh, tune in, enjoy the podcast, and play it to the end, because there's a spoiler alert about what we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks and on the next episode. And it will be of great interest to a lot of you. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. You're very welcome, very welcome. And I do this at a lot of my podcasts just to give people reference. Lindsay and I have actually spoken already. And <laughs> one of the issues we have is not shutting up. And we actually got halfway into about 20 minutes into this podcast and realised <laughs> we hadn't actually started the podcast and just carried on talking. So, but in light of the fact that there is a second lockdown on the way or it appears that way and you and I were talking about the mental health of that could you just um explain to people what you do yeah I am a business coach and I have the privilege of being invited into businesses to work with business owners and I kind of use a catchphrase and it's not really a catchphrase I guess it's in in business we we learn how to describe our business and it's probably taken me eight years to get to this but um i'm on a mission and i'm on a mission to inspire to elevate and to guide female entrepreneurs to fulfill their greatest potential without <laughs> sacrificing their evenings their weekends their relationships and their health and that's really really important to me and interestingly this that sort of phrase that i've just given you has really bubbled up and come to the forefront since the first lockdown yes and it became even more important to me that i worked with women and enabled them to be all that they can be without anxiety and without worry and without fear and i think women are really particularly women are really good at you know not dreaming their biggest dream so they never fulfill it because they they're not they don't give themselves permission to dream it and i want to work with women to really tease that bigger dream out so we can work out how to get there and I kind of describe um, business as a bit like having a sat nav. So you really know, need to know where you're going, because when you know where you're going, you can plan the journey. And the beautiful thing about sat nav is if something gets in your way or there is a challenge or an obstacle, it helps you find the way around over underneath or whichever way you need to go. But it's really important that we have that really, really strong vision. And this has become absolutely key to the, well, it's always been key to the work that I do. But certainly since March has become even more important to me and, and important because of my own, um, my own journey through lockdown. So, yeah, I'm a business coach. Predominantly, I work with women, but I do also work with men. Love working with men as well. It makes me actually a better coach, I always say, because women and men work differently. So actually, that was going to be my first question. How, what do you notice are the main difference between how men and women work differently? Men are really good at going, this is what I want and this is how I'm going to get there. And they go, 
and they're going to get there. Women are like, well, this is, I think this is where I want to go. Or, um, yeah, I really want to be here, but I think I'll go for here because I've got family and I've got this. And we dumb down, we dumb down our potential. We dumb down our, our truest vision and desires because we're trying to please other people often. And that's not always the case. And I have seen it in, in men as well, but particularly men, they're really good at going, this is where I'm going. Men are also really, really good at the number game. So, it, you know, I can work with women. I go, okay, so where are we financially? What does that mean? And they go, I don't really know. Um, Men, you know, I, I worked with an amazing guy um, a couple of years ago, and he'd just, his business partnership had come to a mutual end, you know, after 14 years, and he was going off. So he was working with me so he could get really clear on, on him being the business owner and, and doing that on his own. And then he suddenly said, I've had this other idea, and I want to do this. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, so what about the financial, he said, I've done the numbers and he literally, he'd done the numbers. He knew what he needed to do, what he needed to achieve, where he needed to be to make this next element. And, and men are really good at that. It's almost like you decide what you want and you believe it to be your divine right, which is what it should be. Yeah. And I want to take that and give that, that knowledge, that confidence to women. But equally, I think women are really good at, um, we are, I think in some ways we're better at being okay with the journey where men are like almost that's where I'm going and that, that's it. Where I think women are much better at enjoying the journey and going, okay, well, that didn't quite work out and I'll just move over here or I'll just change the path or need to speak. I think we're much better at being flexible in our approach. So I need to take some of that and pass that across to the other side. Okay. So. So I take it then, like, when, when guys just get their head down, this is where we're going with it, that brings its own issues. It does. Because I, I imagine there's a level of inflexibility there and possibly yeah, can be slightly blinkered. And yeah. so and the when you're talking about women and they can be a bit indecisive, um, what are the benefits of that? I don't think women are indecisive. I think what they're, they're really good at is this dumbing down. And it's a phrase I don't like using because it's, no, but... it's probably not an appropriate phrase, but it's the only way I can describe it. So we don't allow our full potential to be reached because we keep pushing it down because, oh, we're not supposed to be successful or oh, we don't have any right to do that or oh, we're not worthy to do that. Where men know it's their, their right to be successful. It is their right to be financially wealthy. It's their right to be prosperous. And they, they become really focused. It's easier for them to become focused on that. So they've already got this clarity where women are dumbing down where they want to be so they lack the clarity so then it becomes of a oh this isn't quite working or that's not quite working so for me it's about getting women to be really clear on what their truest desires are so that we can then plan on how to get there and women are much better then at being a little bit flexible they're more open to asking for help to being on that learning journey and yeah. the learning journey is something amazing i would say there are no failures you cannot fail there are no wrong decisions there's just awesome learning opportunities where i think men find that really much harder to deal with yeah I've ne- men, and we are generalizing here no but you you say that and you know my therapist caroline and she will tell you you're right is, and I, you know, you, you know, I coach you, you know, you and I have had discussions. I'm very insightful. I'm very sympathetic to me. You know, I'm very good. But when it comes to me, I'm black and white. No, no. It's either working or it's not working. It's not. Do you know what I mean? And, but 
if you were talking to me, I will open up a whole treasure chest of, well, what are your options? What are your reasons? Have you thought about this? Maybe you were having a bad day. Well, okay, you can learn from that. You can, we can stretch that. How can we use this experience? You know, how can you relate that experience to something else you've seen? But when, it, but when I'm in that moment, I'm a walking contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> I succeeded or I didn't. Well, you were shit at that, weren't you, Watson? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, I think that's, it, it's hard. And, and let's, let's be honest, you know, and again, I am generalising. But, you know, men have been the breadwinners. They're the ones that are going to solve the problems. They're the ones that, you know, <coughs> we've created these stereotypes. And I, I know, I'm, I'd like to think I'm talking about stereotypes way back when. I think they exist. They, 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 they do still there's, there's male and female characteristics. That, that, that's just how it is. But it's within the percentages of, percentage-wise, 60-70% of men are likely to have these traits, positive and negative. Percentage-wise, 60-70% of women are going to have these traits, positive and negative, that you don't see in the opposite sex as much. They're just facts. And I've, it's like, it, Sorry. Because is it the pink and blue jobs, isn't it? So in it, my house, yeah. I put the bins out, which, you know, you would think would be a blue job. But, mm. you know, I seem to be the one that remembers when, let's face it, we've, we've got more coloured bins than we know what to do with these. Yeah, ones. yeah. And actually the heating is my responsibility. You'd think that was a blue job, wouldn't you? Yeah, so, you see, and that's it. Right? So if, if you live with me, you wouldn't let me do the bins. Because no. my idea of recycling is it goes in the bin. Yeah, the thing is, I wouldn't let you do the bins because you just put it out on the wrong day and you'd get it wrong, David. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm not too bad with that. I'm not too bad with that. But do you know that, like, um, when, like, because, like, with recycling and stuff like that, I just look at recycling and I just see rubbish. <gasps> yeah, yeah, I know. So you wouldn't let me, but you'd let me do the laundry and the ironing. I will out-iron any of you. My husband does all the ironing. I yeah, do you see what I mean? You know? That goes back, actually, that's quite interesting, isn't it? So that's about, this is what business is about. It's about looking at what you're really good at yeah. and developing that and growing that and you focusing on that. And then it's looking in your business and going, okay, I'm really rubbish at this or I don't enjoy this and bringing in help and support to do those bits because that enables you to grow your business far faster when you're focusing on what you're good at. My husband's good at ironing. And and that is it's just one of those weird things, you know. But yeah, it's I, it's I, I yeah, absolutely. So, with this Inman second lockdown, yes, there are going to be lots of people, men and female, um, who are in the middle of business. And the 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 sort of tagline that you and I were talking about before we start was focusing on what you can control. I think this is absolutely key. And, and again, you know, for some, this time could be the nail in the coffin. I mean, let's be really honest. There are going to be businesses out there that are not going to survive a second lockdown. However, I, I would like to think that we're better prepared. I mean, from Saturday night, I don't know if anyone else was you know, watching the news, hoping desperately that you'd know by four or by five or by yeah. six. Yeah. Well, we'll do. You know, we were desperately waiting. And within sort of an hour or so, I was seeing some um, business owners that I've had the privilege of working with during lockdown who couldn't work during the first one and had to change the way they did business and lots of others. And I was getting these 
really lovely positive emails going i'm not going to be able to open my doors these are the things that i've been doing online this is how i can help you some really positive stuff and i think this time we are much better equipped for the lockdown because it we've been there before let's face it we, we've been there done that and you know predominantly we've come out the other side so i think we're going to be much better businesses will be and are much better equipped for this second time but you know we've got to be honest that this will be the end for some yeah definitely i'm not going to sit here and guess which ones it is because i don't think we can because i think it goes back to who who is the business owner how they um you know focus on the positives or how they use the the business to move forward whether they've got the funds to move forward there's going to be so many things and i don't think we can second guess who's going to be on the other no. side no i think there's things that can help i mean ironically one of the, my, my clients is a guy called carlton at brunton media and he does it's digital media do you know carlton yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. um digital media and he is he's just doing loads of youtube stuff now about how you can develop content for online and yeah. for people that used to rely on a footfall so if people just come through the door, it's, it, it's adapting and changing. And the way, cause it's going to be hard. It's for some people, you know, it's concerning at the moment when they're talking about suicide rates are higher than COVID deaths. And just a personal opinion, I think we're looking at the wrong problem then, you know, is that some, whenever there's a disaster, something always thrives at the expense of something else yeah. and financially when you look at recessions depressions and stuff like that something else always comes out now interestingly when the pubs started to nosedive microbreweries started to increase do you know what I mean people start to specialize <clears throat> it's and i think it's people and it's hard if you're waking up tomorrow knowing that you're going to lose your business. You have my absolute sympathies, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. But if you can try and find a light in the darkness, please know you have a skill set and an opportunity will arise again where you can specialise or go something or do something. It's not the end. It's just a shit time. Yeah, and there was a lot. I remember at the beginning of the first lockdown, lockdown version one, yeah. Um, I remember saying, you know, we're all in this together and I was hearing it all. And then I read this amazing thing and I'm not going to get it right. But the, the crux of it is we're not all in the same boat. We're in the same, same storm. storm. I've seen that. That was brilliant. <clears throat> that was like it an was epiphany real, moment. It was. It was a real turning point for me. And I thought, yeah, that is absolutely it. Because everybody's circumstances are different. You could even take two people with virtually the same businesses, or the same family life and everything. They're going to deal with it differently because we're all individual. And, you know, that would, for me was a real turning point to go, okay, hang on, I need to be careful what I'm saying here because we are only in the same storm and not the same boat. And I think you know, that will be exactly the same as we go forward. And like I say, I think we will be, we are better prepared in our own individual boats. Yep. We are better <coughs> prepared and we'll be able to um, more easily move through it and out the other side. Um, but of course, for many, it, it will be the camel that broke the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back. That's one. But it, it, and, I, I, and that's that's the sad thing. And 
Well, I was going to say, actually, thinking about lockdown, and, and I saw quite a bit coming out over the weekend. And for me, it's about, I really want people to remember, okay, actually, that's quite emotional when that's coming up. I want us to not judge others. Yeah. And I don't want, uh, you know, let's stop. And I, to give you an example, you know, I remember back in the summer, there was everyone on the beach. My mum is in her 70s. She was really amazing at isolating when she needed to and then coming out really slowly and doing, you know, doing her online shopping. That was a bit... That was a bit traumatic to start with. Yeah. Um, and then one day her phone me and going, everyone's on the beach. Look at them all on the beach. And I was like, mum, are you on the beach? No. I said, then it doesn't matter. No. But they're all on the beach. I said, mum, you're not on the beach. You're looking after yourself and you're doing what you need to do. Don't worry about it. And I think that I don't want us to start judging. It was like, the, you know, everyone protesting for Black Lives Matters. I was like, you know, people are doing what they feel they need to do. And we should never judge anyone for doing what they feel they need to do. Um, and I, that I really would, you know, I'm, I'm holding on to that we will continue to be kind and we will continue yeah. to look after our neighbours and our communities, but we will not judge others I, because I don't think that's helpful anyway. No, but I think it's important to note, and I'm not, I'm not trying to bash the media, but, and I'm going to choose, <laughs> no, because I'll go on a rant and, you know, and I'll start off with polite swearing. And then it will go just descend into chaos. It's just like the, the guy's got some anger management problems. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it down. Yeah. So I'm going to use an analogy, right? Is if you remember back in the, like, you know, the 70s, 80s and 90s, your news feed came at 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. That, that was it. News at 9, news at 10. You had an evening news show that 10 minutes of which was prepping you for what they might be talking about in the, uh, at 9 or 10. And you had a, a lunchtime show. Apart from that, you had about 17, 18 papers, daily and weekly. <clears throat> so headlines were what got you to buy your, your paper. Mm. Now, to a certain degree, newspapers, it was a bit tribal. You know, if you bought one, you probably didn't buy the other. And it was just like football teams, sports teams, political, whatever way, right? That, that's kind of how it was. Yeah. But if somebody got the scoop, their job was to put the headline on to get you to buy the extra paper. All right. You weren't going to give up whatever you normally bought, you know, whether it was, you know, regardless of what it was. But the headline would sucker you in and you'd buy that headline, hoping that it was as exciting as it turned out. But actually, it'd be a thousand words spread on and you're like, oh, the headline was so much better. But we were back then to a certain level reporting actual news. And we are now in this place where the only way we can get our information is via Facebook, where somebody's ranting about their opinion. Twitter, where someone's ranting about their opinion. Okay. Instagram, where if you choose wise wisely, they're not going to be wearing that much, but enough that they're not getting banned. <laughs> but they're still just going to be selling you their opinion. Right? And if it's on TikTok, you're most likely going to be listening to music and learning a dance move, right? And I'm not trying to be cynical because I'm on all of these platforms talking about coaching, right? <clears throat> but I must find you on TikTok. <laughs> I'm doing very well on TikTok, actually. I've got quite a few thousand followers <laughs> on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not dancing on TikTok. <laughs> Nobody would tune in to see me do dancing. Not nice people, anyway. Right? <clears throat> but now we have a 24-hour opinion and they're struggling news news outlets are struggling like mad 
because there is so much noise and so much competition. And yeah. we know this historically. They need headlines to grab your attention. And they will ha they have to find the guests that are the most polarizing, who are going to cause the most upset, the most offense, and be the most dramatic, and say the silliest, ridiculous things, because they need you to be outraged, because that's how they're going to grab your attention. And we know as a business model, it's collapsing. But it's actually collapsing because clickbait is the term that's used. They just want you to click on it. They just want you to tune in. They just, they just want, want you, want you, want you. They're not interested in the integrity of what they're providing. Don't you think we're a bit responsible for that? No, 100%. Don't, you know, no, it's entirely our own fault. Because yeah. we, we, could, we could all we could switch, switch off. off. And I do agree with you. I think the, the media... You know, did you, have is, you seen the documentary on Netflix called... Uh, I was about to quote a documentary and it just went out of my head. The social network one. No, I haven't. Okay. I probably should, but right. you do it bad. I've got small children. But I'm it's, um, it talks about, if I remember, well, all of these people have worked in some form of social media. And one of them was one of the key people in Facebook. And they talk about how they literally studied human nature and how algorithms work. And it's a fascinating documentary. But it's not anything we didn't already know. <clears throat> and there are parts of our brain, and you and I have talked about this in a previous conversation, where you can switch it on and off. You're either addicted to things or you're not. Yeah. And they are pulling those strings. And when you don't react to something or you ignore something, the algorithm will find something that you once did react to. Because their job is to sell you advertising space. Yeah. You know, BBC, Sky News, their job is to have your attention. And they start going down this road of what once caused outrage. We'll, we'll repeat that, we'll repeat that. But we then become immune to it. We get used to it. We're not as outraged. And <clears throat> they're now, the trouble is now, like with COVID. I mean, I think it was about six weeks ago, they stopped talking about COVID deaths. And they're now referring to it as COVID cases. But the imagery in our head is those 4,000 cases of 4,000 dying people. You know? Just, I, and I think it's about choice, isn't it? It's about choosing what you consume. And, and back, yeah. um, way back in lockdown one, um, I decided to reduce the amount of news that I was consuming. And I was only interested in the good stuff. So to start with, I would only watch any videos on Facebook if it was amazing Italians singing on their balcony. Yeah. Now, I wanted all the positive stuff. And Absolutely. I, I just wondered... I just wonder whether this is the time for the media to go, do you know what? Why don't we just try something different? And why don't we only give the positive stuff, the good stuff, the stuff that will make people feel good? Why, why do they keep, you know, we keep buying it, we keep consuming it, so they keep giving it to us. But it feels like maybe this is the time. And, and I must admit, as a journalist, <coughs> be a nightmare right now because you must go into work and think oh covid again there, there is you know we're not we're not even giving them anything else no but we are we're by, not even taking responsibility and giving them something else. but we are by nature um addicted to negativity and danger because it's how we learn to survive by the, the limbic part of our brain isn't it i guess so i must admit since having kids i know because i was always a massive horror fan yeah 
love a good horror film that you know is going to scare me. But it's death. it's incredibly and stimulating. You stop watching when you haven't got kids. You stop watching when you know. And I and I think there is. And I don't think it's just kids. I think there can be other catalysts that make you go, okay, I, I'm I'm going to look at things differently. Um, and it's like my husband won't watch. You know, there's been some really great documentaries about. Um, children who have been taken and that kind of thing and I don't, that doesn't bother me so much because it, you know it's it's a film or it's a program or it's a document my husband won't watch any of that since we've had kids he will not watch yeah. it he cannot watch it and I think it's really interesting but we but that shows that we have a choice and we need to be making better choices maybe from our media and we need to be expecting more from our media and instead of you know berating them on twitter because they've said something really stupid and there's lots i could mention on the tv that say really stupid stuff and then we all everyone goes to town on it well just ignore it but i think this is in like this is the same with businesses isn't it it's focus on what you can control where, where you are yeah. because we are by nature designed to be fearful and we get addicted to outrage you know it's very stimulating but it's very frustrating and the problem is is so net positive is is hard to come by because you can get a very quick stimulus through sugar and it feels yeah. great but negatively you're going to get overweight and you're probably going to start hating yourself, you know, without trying to demonize or stereotype. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it's not as much instant fun as working out. It's just not as tempting as a lettuce leaf. Do you know what I mean? It's just not, you know, whether, whether we, you know, the reason confectionery sweets and cakes are so successful is because they're so bloody nice. <laughs> do you think that we are on a turning point because i remember so i started my business what eight years ago and it was a very different business from what i've got today but i was i was i was quite um masculine i was like push 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 the more hours i do the more money i earn i just gotta keep pushing i gotta keep pushing and i expected people to work with me and it was you know i was working every hour because if i was working every hour i was so busy and i was really successful and i was just pushing at it and then there was a, a point where I just went, I cannot maintain this. Yeah. I cannot keep this going. And then I started to open myself up to go, this, this cannot be the only way. Because I and my business had plateaued and I was like, I haven't got any more hours. I haven't got any more time. How can I make this work? And then I opened myself up to different types of business coaches, to different types of reading. I remember the first my, my first business coach that sent me on a different journey. Um, she gifted me The Big Leap by Gay Henry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know that book. And that was kind of what took me on this this journey of self-discovery, if you like, and I started, yeah. eventually started to look at manifesting law of attraction, um, making it, wanting to make it easy and knowing that I could make it easy if I decided to. And I think there feels to me like there is very much a pull towards this now. Um, certainly with the business coaching world that I sort of stay connected to that we don't believe that it has to be difficult we believe it can be as easy as we want to make it and we don't believe that it should be a struggle we don't believe that it should be hard work and we certainly don't believe that it should be at the detriment of your health your relationships and everything no and I think there is a pull towards this and I I guess that was my question if we uh, um, or sort of my my point is if we're 
there is, I feel that there is a definite change. I feel that there is a pull to something better. I think there are more and more of us that want better, that want more. And we don't just want that for ourselves. We want that for our planet, if you like. Yeah. So maybe there is a change coming. And it's a bit like we're, we've had enough of the media. We've had enough of them just you know, churning out the same stuff. But I, I don't think we should judge them either. One, that's what they're paid to do. Um, but equally, they must, there must be journalists out there going, oh, just, can we not just do something different? Can we not well, do something? Th there are, there's a, there's a lady out there called Anna Breeze, who is an ex-BBC and ITV journalist. And she talks about the fact that um, journalists approach her all the time, saying that they actually object to a lot of what they have to do, but they're told, do it or you'll be fired. And there is a guy, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, I haven't listened to it yet, and he was part of an online journalism thing, and he refused to make some comments about Joe Biden. Sorry, he was told to make some comments about Trump, I think it was, but ignore the whole laptop thing about Joe Biden. And he's like, but th this is a really big deal. And there's just like, so he resigned, he publicly resigned, wow. um, because he's saying, but there always has been editorial control. It, it's just, so I have a theory about this and Ooh. right. And I, I love a good theory. <laughs> so, and I, I've actually, I wrote about this in an online training program and the, if you remember your parents and your grandparents, they lived through the most horrific things, right? And about 200, 250 years ago, child morality, mortality rates was like, I think three out of every five children died or something. It was horrific. So people were actually grateful for what they had. Do you know what I mean? So your grandparents, your parents, if you had food on the table and a roof over your head, you considered yourself fortunate. You but actually considered yourself rich in many respects. This is the, this is the point. Is, and this is that thing like you were talking about law of attraction and gratitude. It's are so misunderstood because the point is, which is why they're saying it's, I, I remember my nan and I remember the stories of my nan. She, she came from Southern Ireland. Okay. Um, they had like, um, they were self-sufficient. They had 16 acres. It was a farmhouse. Um, but there was like 18 children originally and only 13 made it to adulthood. And, my nan used to walk barefoot for about a mile and a half up to the water fountain to collect water every morning and then take it back down. That was her childhood life. No running water. So you all collected buckets and empty buckets, walked all the way up, no shoes because they were too poor to have shoes. Right. Mm -hmm. So anything my nan had in her life, she was just grateful for it because yeah. she'd had it so rough. And one of the things that, we've i think we're struggling with now is we have it so easily and if you think of it is maslow's hierarchy of needs is it the pyramid yeah. is yeah. it Mas? Yeah. <clears throat> is we for a long time now have had our three basic functions met and it's supposed to be the theory is that we then move into artistic creation and things like that but that's not what people do people are raging people are think the life is unfair. I mean, when when I hear people complain about the West, I know you've never travelled anywhere. Because, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I went surfing in Morocco and was shocked um, when a guy 
uh, one of our tour guides. Uh, so I was on the surfing trip, and it humbled me. It really humbled me. You know, one, I just I just didn't realise that Morocco was so poor. And once you get out of the cities, it's you've actually got people living in shelters made out of plastic bags because they're goat herders, and people fishing and holding up fish on the side of the road because that's how they make their living. They're that literally that poor. Every day is a survival day. So we all rock up like you do, Westerners, um, and we finish surfing, come back, and. There I am, because it's a bit uncomfortable when we're all doing it, you know, everyone's doing it, is we're washing the sand off our feet, right? Putting our flip-flops on, you know, you know, it's like you're walking around with sand in your feet, it's horrible. And the tour guide, one of our surf guides comes up to us, who's from, who was from North Morocco, uh, from the mountain region, he was a goat herder, I think, originally or something. And <clears throat> this guy had come over, and he interpreted, and he was just like, he's just asking if you've got any spare water. I was like, say again? It's like, yeah, if you've got any water, they don't, there's no water here. I was like, yeah, yeah. So I gave him a whole bottle of water. And he then started saying this prayer to bless me for my generosity. And I just remember thinking what a twat I was. Because I was literally just round the corner on the other side of the van two minutes earlier, washing my feet off with sand. And there's a guy who gets his water from the generosity of anyone that will give it to him. Because there isn't, turned out, there was no running water for miles. So when we turned up with like half a tonne or 500 litres of bottled water in its finest plastic, and this guy, doesn't, he doesn't know what fresh water is, except for when people like me give him a bottle. And his reaction to me giving him a whole bottle, a litre bottle, unopened litre bottle of water, was to bless me for my generosity. And I just used the open bottle to wash sand off my feet. Do you think, so as an adult using social media, I can see through it. Yes. But I watch, so I have a son who has turned nine last week and a daughter who will be 11 this month. And they see social media very differently. And I have this, it's so interesting. The journey that I have come on and where I have come to, and, and I'm really conscious of wording that I use because I don't want to put any of my money blocks onto my daughter or to my son, and very conscious of the wording I use so I don't put any of my shit on any of them. And, and then I watch them with social media and I just think, I can only do so much because they are being, they, they see the world differently. They, even at that age, they see the world differently. They watch families on YouTube who do all these stupid challenges, like they are, they could only buy green stuff in the supermarket that day, or dad's gonna say yes to everything they asked for that day. And I just think, this is not, because then they say, can you just say yes for the day? That's not normal life. They're no. doing that. But was time. that any different than when we watched the Crosby's as kids? When we watched, uh, you know, Crosby's, um, trying to think, different strokes. Um, Dallas, do you know what I mean? Dynasty. No, I mean, I, I, do, do I you know what I mean? Is, no, I don't think it is the same because when I was young, one, I mean, I remember getting our first telly. So, yeah, um, so do I, yeah. And, and those, you know, what did we start with? Two channels or something? <clears throat> no, um, do you know, it's funny because I was talking about this the other day to somebody saying, do you remember 
um, when the average house had outside toilets only. But, I mean, this is it. Now our lives were different. Even though I had an inside toilet, I did count myself quite But do, you, you remember, you, you know what I'm talking about, though, don't you? Yeah, I do. You know, because... the coal bunker. And I remember yeah. when coal was scarce. And I remember when, you know, power cuts were a regular thing. But I remember <laughs> going to Southampton and being in Debenhams, I think, and there was a bomb scare and we had to right. leave. Well, you, I remember that kind you of You just said something very interesting because everyone thinks it's really nice and posh because I have this office and I, I often work from home and there's my coffee machine and nice. all of that. It's tiny. It's tiny. What do you think my office is? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? The old coal bunker. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> just, but when you empty it, did you know me? Because they were sheds, weren't they? And you just used to they chuck were. coal. Yeah, you chuck coal into yeah. it. Yeah. And um, they were just these big sheds on the size of houses, big brick sheds. And but we yeah. saw life differently. We didn't have this because he, I don't remember watching that much TV as a child. I was it wasn't out. on. It wasn't on. No, and well, it wasn't on during the day, was it? It was just no. that woman playing the harp or something, or whatever yeah. she was pretending to do. But we were out. But then that leads us, you know, almost to that. Well, why aren't our children out? Well, our children aren't out in the same way that they were because we have projected these or we have had projected onto us fears about the safety of our children. So we hold them close, which means we've projected those fears onto them. So when I was a kid, we were allowed out. I remember my mum going to work and saying, you can go out, you can't go in the river swimming until I am back from work. She's get back about 1.30. Now, to be fair, we were in the water the minute we were by the river. We didn't wait for 1.30. No. But, you know, I was as likely to get a clip around the ear from my mum as somebody else's mum. And, you know, by the, there were no telephones, you know, there was only the house phone, there was no mobiles. And I could have done something, you know, by the time I'd walked down, back down to my house, she would know. We she were... would know because the drums were going. <laughs> we, but... we just had a different life and, a, a, and in some ways um, an easier life. And I was talking, funny enough, I was talking about that to my mum, and my mum was saying, you know, she, she looks at me as a mum and goes, it's so much harder. Yeah, in so many respects, it's so much easier because my mum didn't have a washing machine when she, you know, first no. got married. She didn't have a tumble dryer, you know, and you know, certainly didn't get a shopping delivered like I do, you know, all those things that, and it's maybe some of that's perception, but, you know, some things have got harder, but it does worry me what my children are seeing what they believe to be true and you know the life and, and we have been a bit braver and we are letting our kids play out but Although does this not, not until not after thursday obviously yes yes not officially after <laughs> come back thursday. in immediately yes the but the thing is you said something there about your mum wouldn't know All right so you when you went off playing when you went off in the river your mum wouldn't know so your mum, yeah, but your mum focused on what she could control. Yeah, and for her, it was about going to work. But I, you know, we also lived in and, the village, and nothing but, was done without. But, but nothing was done anywhere. If you lived in the inner city, it, it wasn't bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it just, it just wasn't. It was never as bad as we would like it to be. We are by, by, we are the only reason. So, I think I did a blog. I can't remember if I was talking about this or I did a video on this. But if you look at our brain, our operating system in our brain, it's about two million years old, right? Now, the only people that survived were the ones that were scared of what was outside the cave. Because if you weren't scared of what was outside the cave, you were eaten 
or killed. Mm. Another tribe would rape you, kill you, eat you. If they didn't, the lion, the tiger, the bear, whatever. We were not top of the food chain by any stretch of the imagination. But the only people that survived were the people who were not adventurous. Because there's two things that were very important. And this is why peer pressure is so difficult. Because peer pressure is an operating system that's designed two million years ago. That if you venture outside the wishes of your tribe, we're going to ostracize you and kick you out. Because otherwise you're going to endanger us. Because you might bring the attention to a stronger tribe. You might bring in the wolf. You might bring in the tiger. You know, you're going to be a danger to us. So the only people who could venture outside of that scope were the dominant males and the dominant females, the adults. But if you weren't the adult that could slay the tiger or protect the tribe from the tiger, or when the, the next tribe came in, when they tried to take you, because we lived in small family pods, when, the, when they tried to come and take you, if you weren't the, the dominant adult male who could slay their dominant adult male, all of your women were now owned by another tribe. Okay, so they're just commodities. All of the males would have most likely been killed or given the opportunity to run off and die and starve. Right? So genetically, it's in our DNA to be afraid of things we can't control. This, while you were speaking there, I was writing, and thank goodness that we are brave, and thank goodness that we but are we're not, we're not been braver. We are... Do you not think... I think people are we're not. We're not. people are courageous. We, be, we can become brave and courageous. Oh, have you never seen a child jump from somewhere high without any fear? It's because they're dumb. No, but they're not. They have, they have Lin- none Lindsay. of this. Lindsay, <laughs> right? I promise you, right? <laughs> if I put my mum on this podcast now, she will tell you how many times I was in and out in hospital. I have had stitches, broken bones, you name it. It was so bad that I, the nurses knew who I was when I was a kid. I ended, right, and I promise I you, it's saying. not because of but. my high level of intellect. <laughs> but I think this: the children are born. Okay, this might take us onto a whole other pod. But children are born without prejudice. Without they are, yeah, no, that's all true. Any of that, and and I think it's, and then we put on to them. Yes, that that what is one hundred percent true because that and I op- think that's... that old operating system that's still in place that was designed to keep us alive. The people who survived were the ones that were afraid. So they're going to teach their children how they survived. Your children are being taught a model of how you survived and how you're navigating through life. I'm dying to say but. But how, how but, <laughs> I want to know. I, I'm not sure I agree with you because I feel that if we're just teaching the same old, you know, it's, it's like insanity doing this. But we're not, thing we're not, we're not teaching the same old thing, is it? When was the last time you took your kids down to the river to swim? No, I always said my husband. But, but how, no, we have, we have done that. I'm, I'm not saying yet, but how many kids when you were growing up swam in the river? Because I'm oh, going to say, all did. So why are the rivers empty today? Because we're not because, because we're not we, teaching the same things as, that we used to teach as them. the adults as the adults we're projecting our fears and I yeah. don't think our fear, my fear is not about them swimming in the river my, my son perhaps not my daughter would just swim off but you know 
but actually, most of us that were in the river, some couldn't swim anyway. You, you just, you know, survived. Didn't you? So, could I think it... that I was just going to say, I think there's something around the world has changed. My mum went to work. One hundred percent worked away. My mum went to work. She, I don't believe she was worried that we might go in the river and we might drown. She might, you know, worry that X. She couldn't control it. But it wasn't about the things that could happen now. So when my son is out the front playing, my biggest fear is that he will step out into the road as a car comes round the corner. Or, you know, I think, and they're, they're pushing boundaries. So my daughter's 11, she's pushing boundaries. Can I walk to the shop? Can I go here? And I'm like, yeah, you can. But actually internally, I'm like, the world's a bad place and you'll be put into the back of a van and I'll never see you again. And, but it's irrational fear. Which comes back to your thing. Focusing on what you can control. I know, so I'm keeping her indoors and never letting her out. <laughs> <laughs> I can control her really well. But it's, it's it is incredibly, it's incredibly complex because, and we're not equipped really to deal with it because our environment growing up is was completely different. Your children will be far better to to deal with social media and how it should be regulated than we're ever going to be because we have a biased viewpoint because it wasn't around when we were children. And we're very nostalgic about what it was like when we were kids, when actually we probably hated it because it was boring. It, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. In fact, there's um, a young guy um, that I met through a networking group. And when I say young, you know, I'm in my 50s, he's in his 20s. I think we were talking about the, um, the last election, you know, he hadn't been old enough to vote or something. That's how young he was. But he was saying that... Where social media is concerned, he said, and the internet and everything else, he said, we've been learning. He said, and we will learn how to use it better. We will learn how to use it well. We will learn how to use it for good. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting that he, he's almost been through the, you know, the highs and lows and you know, the, the massive lows, and he can see how it will be for the good. And that was quite reassuring to come from a young person. What was interesting is that he's not really on social media. He so, uses social media for business purposes and not for personal purposes. I don't have an answer as such, right? but I, I have a an idea or an analogy. If you if you look at every generation before us, they suffered. Do you know what I mean? With, with the Great Depression, the wars. Mm. Um, in the seventies, people like you and I will vaguely remember the strikes. We remember the Thatcher years of the 80s, the big boom and the big bust. And, you know, people talk about the last recession in 2007. No, I remember the jobless lines in 2000 and in, in the 80s. It was yeah. severe. And you didn't, and people don't realise as well, you never got the social benefits, family tax credits. You no. know. If you were hungry, you were hungry. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, I came from a very low-income family and my mum got her children's allowance. That was the only benefit that you yeah. got. Right. Um, but what we've seen through history is as life's got better and better, you know, if you take, if you, if you take, I'll give you an example. If you take what was considered poverty in 1988, right, or 1981, what poverty was in 1981, and look at what is considered to be the poverty line in 2021. And I don't mean material, um, in terms of actual money. I mean, in terms of materialistic, you know, if, if you had said to somebody in 1981, 
I'm in poverty because I don't own a TV. You would have been laughed out of the room. Mm. You know, because we were in a generation where people still, not everyone had a TV. No. Some people still have black and white TVs. <clears throat> About 70% of all households used a phone on the street because very few people had phones inside their houses. Yeah. Okay. But the more comfortable we've got, the more we've demanded, the more comfortable we've got, the more we feel that life is unfair. That's about expectation as well, isn't it? It's about saying, I, I expect more, I deserve yeah. It's almost like in a really uncomfortable way. <clears throat> it's this, I deserve this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm entitled to it. I'm entitled, so, thank you. That's a better word. You know, and this is predominantly, it's been this throughout history. You know, the generations that don't come from a place of suffering have more entitlement. But they're also hardest hit when they don't get what they expected. Yeah. Because they weren't taught, they had no tools in their toolbox to deal with things. You know, <clears throat> the irony of this is this, you know, this lockdown for you and I, well, I mean, we, you were, we were already joking about it, it was lockdown 2.0. <laughs> It's, it's not that strange to us in some respects. You know, this, this is like being grounded on the school holidays. You know, I mean, for all yeah. the kids, because you weren't allowed to see anyone. <laughs> it is. And, and for me, I work from home. I, yeah. I've been locked down for eight years. <laughs> it's not well, that, that different in so many ways. No, because uh, as well, as I, I, work in, I work from home and I work in care. So the only thing lockdown meant to me was there was nobody in my way when I was trying to get to work. Yeah. I had these lovely clean roads. I was almost gutted. The worst thing about lockdown for me, and this is how like um, different um, levels of the spectrum we're on, were the, the bloody pigeons, rabbits and pheasants on the road. Because the roads were so empty, the roads were just full of these things eating grit and crap off the roads because there was no cars shooing them off every two seconds. So you're driving along and you come would go down the country road, like a, a main road, like the A346. I'd be on my way to Devizes or something. And, I'd, and there'd be a flock of pigeons on the bloody road. Get out of the way! <laughs> well, yeah, do you know what I mean? That's never happened to me in my life because people always are driving up and down that road. I saw foxes, badgers, everything. It's funny, isn't it, as but, we look back. I but I never saw a car. Well, just because then that first part of lockdown, I remember everyone getting really excited because there were more stars mm. and because there were less planes and you know, there was less pollution and people were taking photos because they could see, you know, landmarks that they've never been able to see for years. And we all kind of relished that at the beginning. We got excited about that. And I think we, we got drained as time went on and we forgot to look for the good. And, and that goes back to, you know, look, focus on what you can control on, can, can take control of. Because when you're focusing on what you have no control over... You're powerless. You are absolutely... And you've given away your power. Yeah. But I don't think, like... So, giving away your power, I don't think people understand exactly what that means. When you get outraged on social media, something that you could scroll through, something, somebody you can unfollow, but you're outraged, and they have, they've sat at home, said something you don't like, an opinion you don't like, whatever it is, Right. And they don't even know you exist. Right. And you are outraged. So outraged you make a comment. So outraged you put an angry face. So outraged you turn to your partner and tell them how outraged you are. That's what made you powerless. 
had nothing to do with that individual. Yeah, and that's quite interesting about social media, actually. I think we, we focus on the, uh, we focus on an individual. It's this whole trolling. And I think, again, going back to the media and how we blame the media for, you know, celebrities and terrible, like thinking about Caroline Flack and terrible things that happened. But we've given the media that power. We've created that power. I disagree. Do you? Because you can switch off. You can't, but that's what I mean. People aren't. And, uh, and so that's the, why, why, why are people not doing it? Yeah, well, I, I think there, and I was saying earlier, I think there is a change. I think we are expecting more and we are expecting better. And we're, I, I am expecting better journalism and better media coverage. And the more of us that say, no, we want better, we want more then that is the change. We can be the change. I agree, I, I, I agree 100%, right, that we are completely the controlling, um, the control of our own destiny. I could believe that completely. And, and I don't mean that it means everybody can be a millionaire, billionaire, business owner. I don't mean that. But I do believe everybody, if they wanted to, could put in the hours and do it. But we are... You and I can switch off anything we don't want to do. So look, here's, here's a real live example, right? Halfway, the people aren't going to realise this because it's going to be edited out. But halfway through this podcast, my internet went down, right? I've no idea what happened, right? You're, it's the screen froze and suddenly Lindsay is just like, oh, and I'm like, that's a bit strange, which does happen on Zoom, these Zoom podcasts all the time. But then I realised the internet had gone down. So I switched my phone back on. By the luxury of 4G, I was able to send you an email saying my internet's gone now. Trying to fix it now. And you were like, yeah, no worries. And there was about five minutes where it was a complete blackout. I managed to get the internet back up. I think it was just somebody pulled cable out by mistake. But, right, at that moment, I took responsibility for what I could control. I sent a message to you. I went and looked at the internet. And then came back in here, it all came back up, and you and I carried on as though nothing could happen. Mm-hmm. We worried about what we could control. You weren't flapping in your office like, what a dickhead, why is this happening, why is that happening? No, no. Just, okay, we'll see what happens. Now, the worst case scenario would have been, I have a serious problem with my internet, beyond my control. Can we reschedule and do this again? And that's what's really clever isn't it and having worked with the business i've uh, this year i've been working with lenka latonska and she says you know when you're worrying about something go to the worst case scenario yeah go to the very very worst case scenario because once you've gone there and gone it like that worst case scenario we have to reschedule that's not the end of the world i will say i'm not a brain surgeon no one's gonna die no if you know if i cock up no one's gonna die and that's the point most of us 99.9 percent of people and not in a position when if you do something wrong, it's a life-threatening event. It's not how we live. You know, I'm not a brain surgeon. You're not a brain surgeon. You know. We're fine. <laughs> you know, we're not... Res- I wonder what that, that is. Because I can see that maybe, I know, maybe four years ago, I would have been going into a panic. I would have been trying to ring you. And, you know, I literally just sat here. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll take a comfort break because I've probably got time. I'm going back and sat for a bit. So utilise my time. I almost got a book out because I thought, well, I can't go anywhere. I could use this time really well. Um, but I think 
that is who I have become. So what is it that enables it's, it's us experience. to be at that point? Okay, so the way I would react to something in my 20s wasn't the same as it was in my 30s, and it's not the same as it is now that I'm in my 40s. You know, one of the... I mentioned to you um, before the podcast started about when I checked audio levels because of that podcast I did with Clark Barton, which a guy that I, you know, I was really pleased to be chatting to, turned out I hadn't, the settings weren't correct and I never recorded him. So we had this great podcast, a fantastic podcast. At that, at that moment in time, I was convinced this is the best podcast I've ever done because he was just brilliant and I didn't record it. And then I had to message him and say, yeah, I haven't recorded it. And he said to me, you know, when it was finished, we had some really good sound bites there. You know, we had a conversation about the new product he was launching. You know, that's what it was about. And he was so pleased with it. You know, and this isn't just anybody. This is a guy who's a fit, you know, he was a fitness model. Still is. He's 57 and still does it. You know what I mean? And, but he, he was a big player in the, in the 80s and the 90s. I recognised him, off, you know, from old magazine coverage. Just like, Jesus Christ, that's this. And I had to tell, but immediately, I was just like, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. I've always been lucky like that. I've always been. I remember, <clears throat> I'll give you a, a true life story as well. Many years ago, me and my brother used to work together as tree surgeons. And we were working on this tree. It was incredibly big. Um, you know, it was like 100 footer. And we had to dismantle it. And this guy kind of had like a, his own private, like arboretum, his own private collection of trees. And this one, it just had to come down. It wasn't safe and stuff like that. And tree surgeons will know this, but sometimes when trees grow, they, they grow twisted and you can't always tell often there's signs, but not always. So when you're cutting a tree, you're, you're aware that it might turn, it might twist or actually what it actually does is it's grown twisted. And when you cut into the fibers, it straightens itself up. So my brother's high up in this thing and he's cutting down a section of this tree. It was like, um, <clears throat> you know, like I had a 20 foot circumference ring and like three big members going up and he can't hear me cause he's got his, chainsaw um helmet and earphones on i'm 100 yards away anyway trying to help pull this tree in the right direction and i can see it's starting to twist and my brother can't and i can't alert him to that and when it that part of the the limb which was probably about 70 foot kind of stalk thing going up actually finally decided to twist it went 90 degrees in the opposite direction my brother was absolutely fine, but it happened to cut land straight in the fork of one of his prized trees and split it straight in half to the ground. Okay. Yeah. And my brother was, like, brother was lucky to be okay. Yeah. And my brother was like, Jesus, what the hell are we going to do? Let's go and knock on the door and tell him. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Ever so sorry. This has happened. Can't be undone. I've always been lucky. Like that. I've always just been calm and good like that. So, is it genetics? Is it something I could train somebody to do? I would like to think I can, but you have to have a willingness to do it. I find it much, much easier in business than I do as a mother. Okay. I, I, I feel I have far greater control in my business than I do out of my business as a mother. So what happens... I have no children, so I have a, a um, nephew and a niece that I'm very fond of, but 
I think it's because you have no control as a mother. I think I'm trying to control something that is not controllable. So therefore, instead of relaxing into what I do have control of and making it work, I go into this mode where I have to control everything. What is it you're trying to protect them from? Um, I don't think I necessarily want to protect them. I'd like them to pick up after themselves. I'd like them to be polite. I'd like them, to, you know, you, I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to do is mold them into perfect children. And my children are not perfect. They're sparky. They um, have great sense of humor um, at times inappropriately. They have, you know, they're farting ninja you know, being the one. <laughs> farting ninjas. Yeah, everyone should have one. It's going to be the future. I'm telling everyone now, get a farting ninja. It'll solve it. Available on Amazon, apparently. Yeah, they are. You have to get one. And they have different ones as well. So please feel free to go and look. I, I don't know if I'm necessarily articulating that very well. I know that when I'm in my business and when I'm in my office, I'm, I, I don't answer to anyone else. It's just me. I get to do amazing stuff. I can change my mind. I can do everything else. When you're doing that with children who are becoming who they are going to be, there are some things you just have to let go of and you have to let them be who they're going to be and actually um over time you know does it really matter i mean my daughter's bedroom for instance is nice and tidy as is my son's so what can i you know can't really complain about anything can what is different things so are you able to give an example of where you wish you didn't try to control no, I don't think I am. So I must be doing it every day. These children will be good. <laughs> I, I'm not good with bad behaviour. I'm not good with rudeness at all. And, and that drives me insane. But is that not um, a standard that every parent should have? Well, I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, well, what's quite interesting as well in our house is um, we, my husband and I were brought up quite differently. So he's one of four. I'm one of two. Uh, my dad was overseas pretty much all the time. So we had, my mum was the, the boss in the house. Oh, history repeating itself. Mum was yeah. boss in the house. <laughs> well, the baby boss in the house. And we had to kind of, we wanted to, I guess, be good children to make my mum's life a little bit easier because she was on her own and she was doing it on her own. That's not to say that we did by any stretch of the imagination. I certainly was probably the bitch from hell. Um, so it didn't make my mum's life very easy. Um, but also interestingly, probably not for this podcast, as I look back, but I held everything down. So we couldn't have any problems because I didn't want my mum to have those problems. Do you so, think that reflects onto your children? Well, I don't know if that reflects onto my children now. Because I'm not, this, I'm quite different now. It took me a long time to get here, but I'm quite different now. But I think what I can see is how... You know, if my mum said we need to do X, Y, and Z, we did it. Yeah. Do you know what, David? I think it's just children are different. My husband tells me this all the time. Now I'm saying it out loud. I think he might be right, which is very, very infuriating. We won't tell him that you've said that. And please don't tell him I said that. He's not going mean... to. He's not going to listen to this podcast. He has to listen to you every day. <laughs> the last thing he's going to do is tune in to listen to somebody talking to his wife. Um. I think it's more about kids are more laid back. They are all, they, they mature so quickly. And I think that is more challenging where I'm kind of, and I never had, you know, I didn't change a nappy till I was 42. 
I didn't have anything to do with babies until I was 42. And my husband said, I've got to go now. It's um, the end of visiting time. And I went, don't leave me with that fucking thing. I don't know what to do with her. <laughs> I, I, and that, you know, that's not far off exactly what I said. I don't know what to do with her. Don't you fucking leave me now. As you can see, Lindsay's not scarred by this anyway. <laughs> I wasn't scarred in any shape But I think, and then the time you, with, as a mother, you just think you've nailed it, and they change. You know, they start to start with it's just now they're rolling over. You know, now they're eating. You know, now they've got food everywhere, and we're not good with mess anyway. Um, so yeah, it has been um, a, a challenging journey, shall we say? But I think they just—it's different, and life is different for them, and. I think, and I'm going to bring it back to this, we seek perfection in a world where you can only focus on what you can control. Absolutely. So I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Her kids are in so much trouble when she's finished here. She'll be, I've had an epiphany. It's going to work out fine. Every now and then I do have those moments where my kids absolutely love me. And it was um, Halloween. So my son's birthday is on the 30th. He is the devil child. And then obviously it's Halloween on the 31st and we're not doing trick or treating or anything. So I said, do you know what? I said, there's a bowl of sweets on the table. Don't ask me, just eat them. Well, yeah. well we can eat sweets all day. I went, yeah, just crack on. Yeah. Because you know, what else can you do kind of thing? And do you know what happened? They hardly ate any at all. It's crazy. It is, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. But it is. I am the mother. <laughs> 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 I knew that could happen really. But I think it's just actually it's being an older mother in some ways that that went in my favour um and in some ways it didn't i was gonna say did you not put more pressure on yeah did you not have more pressure on yourself did you not put the pressure on yourself yeah i did i should know better yeah my expectations are really hard and i'm not good at failing at stuff no i mean i I don't have children at 46 i've probably skipped that boat but I, i don't think i would be on one hand i think i'd be a great parent because i i just have natural parent uh, patients but on the other hand i would also be trying to nurture them constantly i think you can do better and are you the child that needs to be nurtured or are you the child that needs to be disciplined they would almost become a project just tell me and i i am a bit like, i get quite frustrated like my daughter i can't do maths i can't do maths i'm rubbish at maths i'm rubbish at maths and inside of me, I'm like, stop fucking saying it, because that is what is going to happen. Yes. So, you know, then I have to go, but you're really good at maths. You're good at maths. And actually, after a while, I, I, get, I get fed up with the cajoling, with the negotiating, with the trying to come up with a hundred different ways to say the same thing, which is you are going to be shit at maths if you don't. If you keep yeah. telling yourself you're going to be shit at maths, you're going to be shit at maths. Yeah, that, that, that's oh, the okay. bottom line. Yeah. And, and that's what t- it tires me to. <laughs> <laughs> having to come up with different ways of going i really think you should put pants on today yeah no but it's right. interesting isn't it because right. we get caught in these um kind of cycles where you'll be having that with so i have that i'm very close to my niece and nephew right? my sister was a single parent so i'm very close to my niece and nephew my nephew is autistic and um so i i, I try to encourage my niece as much as i can but I am by nature quite black and white about things. It's, and it sounds strange because, you know, I, I can have very in-depth, sympathetic conversations. And But part of me is if you want something, 
You're just going to have to find a way to pull up your big boy pants, suck it up and get on with it. Stop bitching, get on with it. All right. And that has come at the expense of some injuries. I will be honest. Right? <laughs> you know, I'm very much at this moment in time, nursing myself constantly to train every day and stop as soon as I start feeling an ache or a pain because I've, you know, I've literally over the lockdown periods and stuff when I've been training in the garden and stuff, I've literally damaged ligaments and stuff because it's like, no, you'll be right. One more pull-up's not going to hurt you. No, no, just couldn't actually move my arm for three days. Right. But in my head, I'm screaming, you fat, lazy bastard, pull yourself up. And there's pain coming through my arm. And I'm like, don't, don't you dare give in to that. Do not give in to that. So I have to be careful when I'm with my niece because she's quite precious and will cry at the change of the wind. Do you know what I mean? And there's part of me that wants to scream at her and like drill sergeant her because that works for me. Do you know what I mean? There is, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Those things that you've said, um, because I believe that things should be easy. And I think that's what frustrates me because I, I embody that in everything I do in this office. Yes. But the minute I step out of that office, my office, suddenly things don't become easy. And I know that's because over the years I have said numerous times to myself, I'm a rubbish mum, I can't do this, I don't understand it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I've been telling and that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I believe that as a mum in the last 18 months, as a person I have changed exponentially in the last 18, you know, 18 months, 24 months. And that, my husband can say, will tell you, he's seen a massive change in the, in the family, in the relationship, in the relationship I have with my children. So this um, change, so when I talk to business owners and talk about it, you know, we, we want to make it easy. We want to relax into it. We want to do things differently. We want to create a different way. I want people, women to be open to a different way. The benefits are beyond your business. And that, when I have that phrase so on, on my board as I look up, it says, you know, I'm on a mission to inspire, to elevate and to guide female entrepreneurs to fulfill their greatest potential without sacrificing their evenings and weekends. And I know that is possible. And I also know what's even more exciting is the more personal development work we do because we're doing it for our businesses. The rippling effect yeah. outside of our offices is in is amazing so when we started lockdown i thought if i get through this without shouting at my children it will be a miracle and do you know what the miracle happened because i have changed and i was like okay we can make this work we can make this okay this is the heart this is hard you know, my children are living through history we need to make this a really exciting history yeah and, you know, I'm not saying we home, you know, homeschooling was not really a thing, you know, but suddenly I was like, okay, I need to get my son to, I need my son to do more reading because he's, he's just not quite where he needs to be at school. I was like, recipes, he likes cooking. You know, I don't like cooking. Yeah. But we, you know, I still have not perfected a batch of scones. We're still working on it. And now we've got another lockdown to work some more on it. But it was like, it was really important to me that I, I found that way of doing that. And, and, I keep saying to everyone, I have grown again in the last six months. And part of that is through my health journey, which you already know about. But 
which we got, we are going to talk about on another. Podcast. We have to talk about it Wednesday. Oh, we'll do it. We'll do it in the next couple of weeks. That I have been on this this amazing journey, and I feel better as a human being, and I feel happier and in a better state. If that so, yeah. Sense. So you and I. So okay, you and I have already agreed that I'm gonna, we're going to have to give some people some reference to this. Otherwise, it, <laughs> it's, it's like oh, is this a this is the very thing that we've just been criticising the media for, right? We have, we were just teasing people. Yeah. Well, and as you know, at the beginning, um, or just before lockdown, I started on a breast cancer journey. So during lockdown, I had um, a number of operations. Yeah. Um, and so it has been one hell of a journey. And during that time, I had the best months in my business. Ever. This is it. And so this is, we have... We haven't scheduled it, but we're going to plan a podcast just around that actually discovering that you had breast cancer, how you came yeah. to terms with it, being a mum, telling the children, your partner, the, the whole thing. And yeah. I will say up front, we'll, we'll just see how that goes. And, you it's know. a journey I'm really grateful for because I'd already been on this amazing, awesome personal development journey. And then it was felt, I almost felt like I was gifted something else to just level me up again, to just take me up again. And so I'm extremely grateful for that experience. Something Which I... was super crazy because it was during lockdown as well. But it just, it's, it's yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that, you know, to feeling gratitude for having breast cancer. It is, because again, it, it's not the narrative we're told. No, and, and I, I should say it also, you know, having gone through my journey, um, which ended in, in mastectomy and reconstruction, I don't have breast cancer. I'm cancer free. Yeah. I'm bloody lucky. Yeah. 100%. 100%, you know, and do you know that's probably the best place to finish? Yes, it is. Could it, it's, and yeah, and we will, for people listening, we, we are talking about this hopefully in the next couple of weeks. We will. But yeah, cancer free. That's great. Thank you. It is. You're welcome.